Are you looking for a way to track your sleep that is accurate and affordable? Then check out biohackingring.com and use the coupon code Jimmy at checkout for $50 off. Now you've often heard me discussing my sleep biohacking, quantifying how much deep sleep as well as REM sleep and other stages of sleep that I'm getting. And we now have a very cool and fashionable technology that's out there for tracking this data. Again, it's at biohackingring.com. Use the coupon code Jimmy, J-I-M-M-Y, at checkout, you'll get $50 off of this cutting-edge device. I absolutely love this ring, and I couldn't imagine not using it to look in on my sleep. Biohackingring.com is the website. Coupon code Jimmy for $50 off at checkout, and you need to check it out, and it gives you lots of data on sleep, activity, heart rate variability, heart rate, and more. Biohackingring.com. If you love great olive oil, do I have a deal for you? As one of my listeners, you're entitled to receive for $1, listen to this, for just $1, a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils. And what makes this oil really special? It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor than any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oils direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs. It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh, yeah. I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time jimmyoliveoil.com It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk Keto Talk Here's Jimmy and Will Hey, hey, guys, we're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, episode 130. KetoTalk.com is our website. KetoTalkFB.com is the official Facebook page for this here podcast. And we talk about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets each and every Thursday here on Keto Talk. My name's Jimmy Moore, international best-selling author of Keto Clarity and the soon-to-be-released Real Food Keto and I'm here each and every Thursday with my co-host. He is also an international best-selling author of the book Ketotarian, 
and a functional medicine practitioner out of Pittsburgh. Dr. Will Cole is his name, drwillcole.com. What's up, Will? What's up, Jimmy? How are you? I am good, man, and I'm itching to get going with this very last episode, uh, regular format episode of the year of Keto Talk. We're going to take a couple months off uh, during the holiday season of November and December and come back strong in January, but we got a great show in store for the listeners today. Yeah, and next week we have a special show kind of really digging into your brand new book, Real Food Keto, so do not miss that, everybody, next week. Turnabout is fair play, as they say. I got to interview you about Ketotarian. So, uh, yes, you will have me and my lovely wife, Christine, on talking about our book. So thank you for that. Uh, But let's jump right into the show, because one of our listeners wrote to me this week, Jim. Thank you, Jim, for sending this to us. Uh, He sent us a website, SneakySugar.org. And on this website, they basically visually show you how much sugar you are consuming in your diet, whether you realize it or not. And the thing I love about uh, this particular website is they not only look at like added sugars, which is kind of the du jour thing to talk about, whoa, we don't have any added sugars and yet it still has a lot of sugar in it (laughs) or uh, just plain sugar. They also use carbohydrate as turning into sugar in the body. So I thought this was very well Uh, done and appropriate for those of us that listen to this show, those people that listen to this show and those of us that do keto. Yeah, for sure. It's great. It's visually engaging. It allows the the user or the the viewer to kind of see, okay, here's really common foods that people have like caramel macchiatos from Starbucks or real, even things that are quote unquote natural or quote unquote healthy. They're showing what are these sugars, these sneaky sugars that are in these foods that people have. uh, And they have the food that they're look talking about as well as they use sugar cubes to show how much sugar is in this food that people have. Uh, they're also on Instagram at sneak, sneaky sugar. Uh, so people can check it out on social media as well. Yeah, I love the pizza one because it showed 32 grams, uh, which is equivalent to eight grams of sugar. And they stack all the little uh, stacks of sugar cubes. So it really is a nice visual for people. Uh, and that's an easy way, you guys, if you look at a packaging of food and you see that it has, you know, 40 you know, 44 grams of carbohydrate. Number one, don't eat that, (laughs) but know that that's 11 teaspoons of sugar that you are consuming. So uh, thank you again, Jim. This is a great website. And we always like highlighting these kinds of uh, resources for our listeners. Yeah, definitely. Just to clarify this, you said uh, 32 grams in the pizza. uh, And I think you meant eight teaspoons. That is equal to eight teaspoons of sugar. So yeah, it's a lot. My brain's in another world today. It's okay. <laughs> my, my brain was thinking of pizza. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, they have really good pizzas for ketonians now. The real good foods pizza. Have you tried those? Or you fed them to I haven't, kids? but I want to. They're in all Walmarts now. You should go check them out, man. I will. Well, let's get to the hot topic section. And the first hot topic, what's up with that white yellow coating that's on my tongue ever since I started eating keto? And I had a conversation on one of my other podcasts recently with Maria Emmerich, and this topic came up and she didn't know what was going on. Do you? Well, as a functional medicine practitioner, when I see this, uh, typically it's a sign of some yeast overgrowth or specifically candida or candida overgrowth. It could be another yeast or fungus overgrowth too in the microbiome. Now, typically this is improved with the ketogenic diet and you, because it's primarily eating 
sugar and carbohydrates for fuel to yeast and fungus overgrowth. And this is abated and improved dramatically. And a lot of people can attest to this that's listening right now that specific yeast overgrowths or yeast infections will improve um, with the ketogenic diet. But there is some evidence to show that certain uh, colonies of these funguses and, and certain yeast infections will feed on ketones uh, for fuel. So I would assume that if the body, first of all, any diet change is going, to, is going to shift the microbiome. So that's number one. And there could be just some of this adaptation period with whatever's going on in this sort of landscape and these populations of these different uh, yeast and funguses. Because we all have yeast and fungus in the microbiome. It's part of what we talked about, I think, last week, the microbiome, this good yeast and fungus in the gut. The problem is when that's out of balance. and uh, so when we change the foods that we eat, this can shift the my microbiome as well as the microbiome. And people that have yeast and fungus overgrowth, I could assume uh, that certain colonies are feeding on ketones more than others. And maybe that was already there and they're noticing this come up uh, more than it was before. I think the solution would be to A, find out if that is the case or not, and then B, treat the fungal overgrowth that was al already there. Uh, but may just have been shifting in population since you've made the diet changes. So this is one thing to consider. Um, overall, some practitioners, some doctors will say, while you're dealing with the candida overgrowth, to just be in more of a low-carb state, kind of go mm -hmm. out of ketosis, still be low-carb, but uh, that will inhibit the amount of feeding that that fungal colony is getting. Uh, actively deal with the fungal overgrowth, and then you can go back to ketosis. So if it's caused by that, um, right. if it's then that would be one tweak that someone could do while they're heal actively healing the microbiome. Another component here uh, is a food sensitivity. I see sometimes this happening from dairy sensitivities, and they're having sort of this immune mucus response from eating dairy. Uh, and we know many people in the ketogenic world are going for different dairy foods, and maybe for them it's not working for them. Many people do well with dairy. I'm not saying not to have dairy for everybody, but if, for somebody that's having an immuno response, uh, they may, uh, it may be due to a food sensitivity specific to dairy, I would say, is something that I see from time to time. Would this be harmful though, if you left it unabated? I, I think sometimes people, they see a symptom like this and they go, okay, do I have time to work on this? Is this something that I need to deal with sooner than later? What about that? Well, I, I think 90, you know, the majority of, of times it's not going to be aggressively bad. It's just going to be something that you notice. It's just part of the body's adjustment to any life decision that you make with right. food or activities or supplements, anything really is adjusting your biochemistry, uh, modulating it. So I would say most of the time it's really nothing aggressively to worry about, but I right. would see it as like a check engine light that something's off, find out what's going wrong. I mean, that's part of my job in functional medicine to do a differential diagnosis to see what is fueling that. Because it may be not yeast overgrowth. It may be something else right. that you want to kind of see what's driving that. And in the meantime, get a tongue scraper. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, let's get to the next hot topic. Number two, is any clinical or anecdotal evidence of a ketogenic diet helping to reverse this condition known as, and I'm, I'm going to slaughter it, vitiligo? Is that how you pronounce this discoloration on the arm? Uh, close. It's vitiligo. Vitiligo. Um, yeah, vitiligo. Vitiligo is 
an autoimmune type issue. Uh, it can be triggered by viruses or stress. And obviously, there's typically a genetic predisposition for autoimmunity. And this is one manifestation of this autoimmune inflammation spectrum that can manifest in many different ways. There's over 100 uh, different autoimmune conditions and, and an additional 40 above that 100 that have at least an autoimmune component. And vitiligo is seen by this sort of hypopigmentation of the skin. So you see it on people that are normal, normally darker complexion, people that even that are tan, you will see it more clearly versus the fair skin person. You don't notice it as much because it's lighter skin anyways. So this is something I actually see clinically quite a bit. Uh, every month we see multiple cases with vitiligo. And I would say we're obviously in functional medicine changing a lot of things in someone's health, not just diet. But in conjunction with a lot of other factors of dealing with autoimmunity, I have, from an anecdotal standpoint, really great success with stopping the progression of these skin patches that are hypopigmented. They see more and more patches that are showing up typically, and we can stop the progression of that and improve spots as well. Um, as far as the research is concerned, there's no studies that I know of specific to vitiligo in the ketogenic diet. But if you look at the mechanisms that are at play here, as far as other autoimmune conditions and the ketogenic diet, it's pretty impressive as far as improving inflammatory balance in the body, improving T regulatory cells, which we need to have immune balance, which is what's off with people with autoimmunity, and the just overall the immune modulation of the microbiome. The benefits there. So there's a lot of what I would say clinical applications from a, a functional like pathway standpoint in the body where you can make the logical uh, conclusion to say, yes, this would be a good thing to try. It doesn't mean it's going to reverse everybody's vitiligo. I think that's a really big strong statement because there's yeah. a lot of things that are driving that, but it's not going to hurt to try. And at the very least, it what I've found is that it slows the, the progression of the problem for most people. How common is this uh, amongst the population and amongst the autoimmune conditions that people tend to get? Uh, is this something you say you see it often in your yeah. patient population? Any statistics that you know of? I don't know the exact numbers, but it's common enough where I know that I'm talking to people with autoimmunity more than most people are. But out of the autoimmune world, I see it pretty frequently. And it's normally found with other autoimmune problems as well. It's not just vitiligo. Typically, you'll find multiple uh, issues that may not be full-blown autoimmune diseases, but they're still having these sort of poly-autoimmune responses. And the vitiligo is what people are noticing because it's on their skin. But this is actually what Michael Jackson had yeah. and why uh, he had patches and why he had uh, bleached his skin, uh, what the reports say. But he ultimately had vitiligo to... Um, uh, himself. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody uh, sent in a picture of their vitiligo. And so we'll have that in the show notes if you want to see what it looks like. Um, and those that have it go, no, you don't want to see what it looks like. <laughs> it's uh, it's a nasty looking um, condition, but that's interesting that it's autoimmune. So it so is. Yeah. And viruses, stress can trigger it. I mean, and there's certain people like I think we talked about this in last week's show. There's a, a supermodel that's a very beautiful supermodel. She has vitiligo. She's African-American. You can see the contrast of her vitiligo patches. So they're doing a lot to demystify and destigmatize it uh, today. Um, but it is uh, this sort of lighter hypopigmentation on the skin. Yep. Well, let's get to the third hot topic. If I'm allergic to eggs and I have a dairy sensitivity, 
how do I find keto-friendly fats to add to my meals that aren't loaded with soybean and canola oil? The first thing I thought of was gee, uh, coconut oil and coconut products and avocado oil and avocado products, uh, avocados and olive oil. And ol- there's a lot of choices, right? Oh, yeah. Lots, lots, lots. All of the ones you mentioned, avocados and olives and their oils, nuts and seeds, coconuts uh, and their oils and the coconut meat, all the things you can get from a coconut and fish, uh, wild caught fish with, with omega fats, obviously. And ghee, technically, when the casein removed, it clarified butter. People that do have dairy sensitivities typically do well with the casein-free, uh, casein-free ghee. So that is something to consider. There's lots of things if you can't have eggs or dairy. Oh, I keep big old jars of pure Indian foods ghee in my cupboard all the time so that I can have some dairy-free options. I tried, I, I'm not dairy-free, but I try to lower it as much as I can where I can. Yeah, it's great. Well, let's get to the fourth hot topic. Why does adding in intermittent fasting to my keto protocol lead to headaches? And the first thing I thought of was electrolyte imbalance that maybe they're not getting enough uh, salt in when they are fasting and or maybe when they're eating, they have coffee with caffeine or some other source of caffeine. And when they fast, they're not having that. And that's why they have the headache. That's where mine would go. My, my where my mind would go as well. Hydration. Stay hydrated when you're fasting. You typically are going into a deeper ketosis. Your electrolytes could be off. So making sure your electrolytes are balanced. Uh, so sea salt. Making sure your sodium is there. As you can, and you can get other electrolyte uh, supplements that have other electrolytes in them as well. And listen to your body. You may be just doing too much intermittent fasting. I think a lot of times people think more is better. More isn't always better. So sometimes you may, it may be your body's way of just saying lean off a little bit and, and focus on food as medicine. And that's okay. Uh, this is just part of wellness. And part of that, part of sustainable wellness is being intuitive to what your body needs. So yes, it could be electrolyte balance and hydration, and that's being mindful of your body too. But sometimes it's just not fasting and it's just focusing on food. Well, more is better if your last name is, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great play on words on this show. Double entendre. Yes, we'll take that. <laughs> well, the last uh, hot topic, number five, does keto play any role in the improvement of the symptoms that are associated with having ALS? This is Lou Gehrig's disease, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so ALS is a disease where basically motor neurons die, they degenerate, uh, which leads to muscle wasting. It's really a can be a bad disease for people. Um, and there's actually some pretty exciting preliminary studies showing how it improves outcomes and improves the quality of life for people with ALS. So yes, in addition to focusing on nutrient-dense foods, the studies are based specifically on high-fat diets and what that can do to improving neurological outcomes for people with ALS. So, yes, I would say the answer is yes. And in conjunction with other things, possibly like chelation therapy and other modalities that could show improvements as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Focus on food there. And then from there, work with your doctor to to look at other options as well. Yeah. Well, we're fresh out of hot topics, but we do have a question to get to now. The first one here from Tracy. 
Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I regularly listen to Keto Talk and I find it informative. I'm a 48-year-old woman with a family history of diabetes and heart disease, and my sister and I have both been diagnosed with PCOS. I've done various versions of low-carb and keto several times in the past with great success, but in June, I embraced it fully as my way of life. I'm down about 15 pounds with about 10 pounds left to lose, along with getting off my 2,000 milligrams of metformin daily for the PCOS. I plan to just continue this way, uh, but am working on learning to live without counting carbs, just keeping the sugar grains and high-impact fruits, etc., out of my diet and eating healthy fats. I also started fasting 24 to 36 hours once a week to help keep the weight loss going. So my question for you guys is about a discussion that I had with a functional medicine doctor in my area. He says that keto isn't good for you long term because your body begins to gain back all the weight you lost eventually. He said the body loses the ability to use dietary fat in the same way over time. So is there any truth to that? It seems like nonsense to me, but I'd like some confirmation from another functional medicine doctor in Dr. Cole. I feel like if I went to see him again, all he would do is discourage me from staying keto. There are so many things in our media against keto, but everything inside of me says it works and I feel great. I'm really content to stay with a keto lifestyle. I just don't want to have any regrets later in life. Thank you, Tracy. So Tracy wants to know, is there any truth to what my functional medicine doctor told me that long-term keto will make you gain back all your weight eventually? Before I get to you, because I know you got a lot to say on this, I am so sad that a doctor would say that to someone who has obviously seen positive effects in their health. And Tracy, I'm sorry you got that experience, but I think that is more atypical of functional medicine practitioners than typical. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and it's just like any field. You're going to have different doctors with different opinions and they kind of all are, have their own uh, perspective on different stuff. And there is a good group of people in the functional medicine world that are coming from more of the, the traditional higher carb plant-based approach. And that's sort of their their angle on a lot of health issues. And they're, it's obviously better than eating junk food in the standard American diet. And they actually give better advice, I would say, than the standard doctor, but right. it's de definitely not my perspective. It's definitely not, I would say, the majority of people in the functional medicine perspective, because here's the deal. In functional medicine, we need to look at labs and then look at real life as a lab and as a variable and see what works for the patient on an individual basis and not have an ax to grind and say, well, this is the way it is for everybody. Um, I, that's just not the case. But specific what the point of this question that kind of really got me was that he said that the body loses its ability to use dietary fat in the same way over time. I don't know what he's talking about. Right. I, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, the body still metabolizes fat the same way. The body doesn't just decide to change the way it's, it's <laughs> digesting fat or absorbing or metabolizing fat. Right. So this doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if he just communicated it wrong and he's advocating more of a cyclical ketogenic approach and he's talking about variability. I think that there's definitely nuance that you can have with somebody, but you always have to put it in context with what the patient's going through. What are the labs showing? What is their experience? And then putting that uh, in alignment with, with the labs that you're seeing. 
So I, I don't know. I, I no, I would say in general, there's, I don't know where they're coming from on this. And there's definitely your body doesn't change the way it processes fat. And one judgment that we hear a lot on this show against the ketogenic diet is that you gain it all back when you stop it or you gain it all. It's unsustainable. Right. So they're saying, well, that's why. So don't do it because it's unsustainable and you end up gaining it all back. I just think that may be where they're coming from. This doctor's coming from as they see it as quote unquote extreme and you're taking out whole food groups and it's a no carb diet. All the stuff that we hear, these extreme, uh, you know, hyperbole statements, hyperbolic statements coming out of people that don't really understand what we're talking about here. Again, if you go through the training to become a functional medicine practitioner and eschewed the mainstream medical system, it just shocks me that you could come out of that training and have this mentality towards your patients, because it seems to me from what I've learned from you co-hosting this show each week is functional medicine practitioners want tools in their toolbox. And keto is a powerful one that a lot of people find benefit from. So if this doctor is saying this about keto, he's basically saying that tool is invalid and can't help anyone. And I think that's myopic. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it's, that's the word for it. It's myopic. And I think that some doctors get in their little groove in their wheelhouse of they, what they've seen work a lot. And it's like when that when you, all you have a ha is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think some doctors get caught into that and they just focus on this one thing. And they just if you don't fit that cookie cutter, it's their own functional medicine cookie cutter box that or cookie cutter approach to healthcare that we see in the conventional system. It's not right. It's yep. not the heart of functional medicine. It's definitely not something that I advocate. Well, Tracy, if you want a real functional medicine practitioner that will listen to you and understand you, I do know a good one. Hmm. <laughs> DrWillCole.com if you want to sign up to uh, become a patient. Do you have a waiting list, a long waiting list? Uh, no, we don't have a waiting. I mean, we schedule people out, but it's not. No, we we work hard and we're, we're devoted to our, that's what we're doing during the week. So we put on a lot of hours during the week. So we're able to help people relatively quickly. And go back and listen to, to that episode we did earlier this year where we talked about a day in the life of a functional medicine practitioner so you can hear the heart of why and how Will operates in his wonderful team that's around him. It's not Will Cole. It's all this team around him. <laughs> yeah. It is not just me just sitting here answering phone calls. <laughs> but yeah, the consult's with me, but my team, I could yes. not do it without them. Right. Well, thank you, Tracy. And we're going to pause here real quick and we'll be right back with today's health headlines. Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. I didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most 
most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body, how vitamins and minerals affect the body. So it's just been a great program. Anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this. So it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. If you're a fan of fat, then you need to try the F-Bombs. Go to JimmyLovesFBomb.com, enter the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. So what are these F-Bombs? They are nut butters, and they have incredible combinations of coconut and macadamia nut, macadamia nut butter, and my favorite is salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. They also have several oil blends including the house blend, the MCT oil, as well as coconut oil. If you want your fat on the go, then you need to check out JimmyLovesFBomb.com. And once again, use the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb. You'll get 20% off your first order. JimmyLovesFBomb.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. KetoTalk.com is the website. And we are up to the health headline section of the show. This is where we take a look at what's making news in the world of health and giving our unique commentary to that. So let's get started with this first one. It's from This Is Insider, 12 Keto Diet Horror Stories That Will Make You Think Twice Before Trying It. Oh boy. So one of the biggest dieting trends is keto, and while the results of this regimen seem promising, it does have its downside, just like most diets do. And so Reddit users shared their keto horror stories and how and how the keto diet impacted their. I'm I'm trying to keep from laughing too much. Uh, impacted their health, and so uh, the first one was I can't sleep. Uh, vomiting incurred. It triggered a manic episode, whatever that means. Uh, I developed fatty liver disease. Yeah, right. Uh, the cravings are overwhelming. I've been getting nightmares. Keto gave me terrible acne. Uh, I had bad gastritis, which they showed a bunch of toilet paper rolls uh, to illustrate that. I've had a god-awful headache. The dreaded keto flu hit me. Extreme reaction to my cycle. Uh, again, clickbaity uh, will, and we see a lot of these, but people read this stuff and they think, Oh, wow. Well, why would anybody ever go on that diet? Yeah. And the, when you actually read past the headline, the vomiting occurred, this person says alcohol tolerance it got <laughs> greatly lowered again. So basically, they were drinking too much. So they're blaming that on the ketogenic diet. And then the next one, this is hysterical. I developed fatty liver disease, which sounds horrible. And then what it says is that he wasn't restricting his carbohydrates. He didn't realize he was having so many carbs yes. and he wasn't decreasing his fat. So 
I, this is not the ketogenic diet. Right. This is like a high carb, high fat diet. And then he's calling it keto. This is just ridiculous. These but people this, could be nutrition researchers because that's exactly what the research community does. They say, oh, look at what, what low carb, high fat or what high fat diet does. And it's high in carbs, too. Yeah. And the, the one nightmare was I'm tied down and force fed bread. <laughs> this is not due to the ketogenic diet. This is due with unhealthy relationship with food. Uh, I, this can go on and on. These reasons are really, really funny. If anything, just read it for a laugh. Yes. This goes deeper, though, to the perception that people have about keto versus the reality of what it takes to actually be keto and get the benefits that we talk about you can't do it the wrong way and expect to call it keto and and be mad at keto. Keto didn't mess up. Uh, sloppy, nasty, didn't do it right kind of keto, sort of kind of maybe. That's what didn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to the next headline. This one's from Films for Action. If you want to save the world, veganism isn't the only answer. This is from, uh, it was originally published in The Guardian by Isabella Tree. And so she talks about how veganism has skyrocketed in the UK over the past couple of years from an estimated half a million people in 2016 to now more than 3.5 million people, which represents 5% of the population. They credit uh, Cowspiracy and What the Health documentaries for shining a bright spotlight on the meat and dairy industries, exposing animal and human health um, concerns and calls for uh, all of us to switch entirely to plant based foods. Ignore one of the most powerful tools we have to mitigate these ills, grazing and browsing animals. So I'm not going to read the whole article, but it's really fascinating how a lot of people in the vegan world they neglect this. Uh, I guess it's a dirty little secret they won't, don't want people to know about. Yeah, it was a great piece, a great article, and something I think we've been. It's been a theme, part of, it, of the theme of this. The last couple episodes here is talking about this restorative farming. Yes. I think it's really important conversation to have now with the rise of plant-based diets. And obviously, I wrote a plant-based keto book, and I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I love this article in this. It says, it says, much has been made of the methane emissions of livestock, but these are lower in biodiverse pasture systems. So they're talking about these really getting back to natural restorative farming and improving the, the quality of the life of these animals. It says it reduced emissions of methane by 70%. When you're doing these restorative farmings and to the to the, to that point, it says there's no question we should all be eating far less meat and calls for an end to high carbon polluting unethical intensive forms of grain fed meat. Um, but they're talking about that. Look, this is not black and white. There's a lot of right ways to do farming, sustainable ways to do farming and this sort of vitriolic tribalism on both sides, the plant based and sort of the. I don't know, the meat side of the of the wellness world. I think that both can come together and say factory farming isn't good. And this article really summarizes the studies that are showing how to do farming in a right way. Yeah, I love the very last sentence. Counterintuitive as it may seem, adding the occasional organic pasture fed steak to your diet could be the right way to square the circle. Um, and, and I think that's the heart of what we're trying to communicate here on this podcast is Yes, you can you can do better in your diet. And sometimes that means cleaning up even the so-called keto foods 
the meats that you eat, the quality of the eggs and the sources of the fats that you consume. All of that matters, you guys. And that's what we try to talk about here. Uh, the real whole food aspect uh, on Keto Talk. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, the next headline I know is going to bring a big old smile to Will Cole's face. Houston Chronicle has this one. It's an op-ed from Dr. Brett Schur, who I'm going to uh, share a stage with this weekend at Low Carb Houston, lowcarbhouston.com if you want to get tickets. But it's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is the event, and Dr. Schur is one of the speakers. And he wrote this op-ed in the Houston Chronicle, Want a Healthier Heart? Eat a Steak. And so he talks about being a cardiologist and that he encourages his patients to eat red meat. This advice defies all the conventional wisdom because we've been told that's going to lead to heart disease. But brand new studies are debunking this conventional wisdom. And indeed, it now looks like low quality carbohydrates and not the saturated fats in red meat are driving America's heart disease epidemic. It's time to stop demonizing Steak. Carnivores unite. I think <laughs> they're going to uh, love this article. What do you think about Dr. Share's uh, uh, article? Great piece. I love that it's in mainstream local news. Um, I think that people should read this article and share it with friends and family because you're reading it from a cardiologist, right? Uh, and this is someone in the mainstream system talking about the studies, a good summarization of the scientific literature that's current and not outdated weak, flimsy science that people are still talking about. So this is good stuff. I love it. I hope that more people in the health field read this article, share it amongst their colleagues to really start shifting. Because I don't think the system is going to really change no. from the top down. It's We need to change it from the bottom up and really just changing one person at a time with the people we interact with. And it's articles like this that starts to get people to think and they may not be reading all the journals. They're not reading all the scientific literature. So articles like this that are really easy to understand can be the catalyst for some people to start thinking differently. And this is a traditionally trained cardiologist who went out and learned on his own, you guys. And he's fully in the low carb, high fat ketogenic camp of understanding the positive effects that that has on your cardiovascular health. So kudos, Dr. Schur. And I'm uh, really excited to share a stage with him this weekend. Well, let's move on to the next headline from The Sun. And it says, Carb Dodger, how the keto diet could protect against Alzheimer's. But is it really good for you? The trend for low-carb diets just won't die, potentially with good reason if this new study is to be believed. There's no uh, bias there. Miranda Larhi, I think is her name. Uh, If you're not eating carbs, you're not eating a stack of sugar, which then gets converted into fat. And it's that which shaves off your tummy. But a new study now suggests that the keto diet, uh, which is low carb and fat rich, might also help to keep the brain healthy and young. And according to scientists from the Sanders Brown Center on Aging at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, uh, staying away from refined carbohydrates and filling, filling up on fats and protein could stave off cognitive decline. They've been looking at the effect of a keto diet on the neurovascular function that includes the circulation and sensory and motor functions in mice. And in one test that was published in the journal Scientific Reporters, rodents were split into two groups, uh, one which was fed keto and the other a normal diet. And after 16 weeks, they found the keto mice had improved blood flow to the brain, better bacterial balance in their gut, lower body weight, 
and better blood sugar levels. They also found the keto diet apparently boosted the clearance of something called beta amyloid protein in the brain, which is the building blocks that stick together when you develop Alzheimer's disease. Now, this is just a mouse study, so I'm going to remain consistent in my belief about these kinds of studies. It really means nothing as it relates to human health, but this sure is promising as a theory that could be tested in human subjects. I agree. And I love that The Sun, which is a a very big um, publication in the UK, asked uh, for an opinion of from a nutritionist that had a really balanced, uh, logical things to say about a low carb and ketogenic diet. A nutritionist, Sarah Flower, told The Sun that a processed low carb diet is not good. A real food low carb diet is good. Uh, hashtag your book <laughs> that's coming out. Uh, it, it, and she goes on to say, most people think of Atkins or just a diet of meat and fat when they hear low carb or keto, but it is more Mediterranean style with real food, vegetables, nuts, seeds. She goes on about all this real food that we talk about on this show. Yes. Um, so this is something that the, the son is actually asking a nutritionist that has a very logical, not extreme view Uh, of what we're talking about here. Kudos, Sarah Flower. That was a great quote. And I I love the connection here too, Will, to gut health. And I keep telling people, pay attention to the research and, and what we're seeing coming out about the microbiome, because I do think that's the next wave of understanding. Now, you're way ahead of the curve. You've been talking about this for a long time in your practice with your patients. But I think in the mainstream, it's still such a new concept that they don't wrap their heads around the impact that the microbiome has on things like Alzheimer's disease. But it's huge. It's definitely huge. So it's very exciting to see something that we have been talking about in functional medicine for a decade plus now. Um, that really that it's the mechanisms are coming out in these scientific journals. It's really exciting. I love it because it confirms that we were talking about and a lot of that preliminary science that was out here, there out there years ago. More and more studies are showing these mechanisms and, and some of the studies actually showing a causal role, not just correlation uh, for a lot of these health problems that many people are struggling with today and the connection between the gut and the immune system and the gut and the brain. Yep. Well, let's get to the last health headline, and this is a non-diet one, but I thought was very important for us to us to address. It's out of Nielsen. Time flies. U.S. adults now spend nearly half of their day interacting with media. The world's never been more connected and U.S. audiences have never had as many options to access content as they do these days. And consumers in the U.S. can't seem to get enough And so they did statistics, uh, the Nielsen total audience report in the first quarter of 2018, and nearly half of the adults day is dedicated to consuming content on various devices, upwards of 11 hours a day listening to, which includes this podcast if you're listening right now. So (laughs) watching, reading, or generally interacting with some form of media and behind this surge are the growing use of new platforms as well as younger multicultural generations who leverage them. And so they give statistics there of the amount of time that we used to uh, just one year ago uh, spend on our devices compared to today. And it's getting higher and higher. And I guess the question becomes, Will, is it a bad thing if you're loading your brain and body with information that could be helpful Uh, versus the stuff that's just junk. (laughs) 
I think it's how you use it. And are you using um, media and technology to elevate your mind and stimulate your mind and activate critical thinking? I think that that's what podcasts like this do. That's what articles that are great and informative do. And we have wonderful information at our fingertips. That's amazing. That's used to better our education and information. The flip side is that most people aren't doing it for that reason. They're actually doing it to numb themselves. They're doing it to think less about their life and actually just veg out, so to speak, and just mindlessly um, let media kind of think for them. That, I think, is a problem. And it's impacting our our brains. It's impacting our relationships. It's impacting a lot of things in our culture. Uh, CNN just recently did a, a piece. I haven't seen it yet, but anybody that's watched it, let me know. Uh, Lisa Ling, I think, is who did it. Uh, uh, of kids and social media. And, and as a parent, uh, it is something that I definitely see. It's it's disturbing how many just this, there's no pause button for kids on social media. And my kids don't have any technology like that. They don't have any social media. And they're basically the only kids in their group that don't. Wow. Um, and it's really when you see nine year olds with Instagram and Snapchat, it's kind of uh, disturbing. But I think that's when you see this, they're saying U.S. adults now spend nearly half of their day interacting with media. I, I don't even know the numbers for kids. It's probably even higher. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents are using it as a babysitter. Oh, for sure. It's a lot easier. Any parent will tell you it's a lot easier to parent <laughs> when you put the TV <laughs> on or put a phone in front of their face. Yeah, I think this is one of those issues that unfortunately, it's just the sign of the times that we're always in front of a device of some sort and I'm guilty as charged. So am I, um, I kind of do this for a living, this. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you one thing that one of the companies that makes these devices, Apple has recently done with their recent iOS update. They now have this, uh, weekly alert that it sends you of your screen time. It tell it shows you exactly how much time you spent with that thing up at your face. Um, and then it tells you the percentage of increase or de decrease from just the week prior. So I do see that these companies, at least Apple in this case, do understand that there needs to be some limitations applied here. And so maybe we'll see more initiatives like that in the years to come. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah. Well, let's shift gears a bit because we have not just one, but two studies to highlight. I told you it's the last week of the year that we're doing a regular format show. So I had to pack it in and we had some really good studies out there, Will, that I didn't want to slip through. And this first one uh, was a really good one. And it's out of the nutrition. I'm trying to see what the name of the journal is. Nutrition Journal, I think is what they call it. Um, and so the 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 study's called Hospitals Lead by Poor Example in Assessment of Snack, Soda, and Junk Food Availability in Veterans Affairs Hospitals. This was done by uh, a low-carb doctor uh, that does cancer research. His name, Dr. Colin Champ. And uh, what they wanted to look at was all the VA hospitals and what is in the foods that are in the vending machines and do an assessment of basically the amount of sugar and calories and and I guess, lack of nutrition that's in those and juxtapose it to the kind of advice they're trying to communicate to these patients. And it's kind of an oxymoron there to say, OK, don't eat all of this stuff that we're now selling to you in the vending machines at the VA hospital. What would you think about this one? My goodness. Yeah, it's horrible. And Colin Champ is actually in 
Pittsburgh uh, here with me. Um, And it's and the conclusions were all VA hospitals contain junk food. It's really ridiculous, but not just VA hospitals. You'd look at any hospital. It's really the priorities are off and there's a complete uh, divorce between what actually has to happen. And they're feeding these diseases. Ultimately, uh, that may not be there every person that's advocating this they may just not i think what's going on is people aren't thinking about it people aren't making the connection because it's so ingrained in our culture this these convenient foods that they're not even making the connection that the what they're treating their patients for is actually fueled by the machines that they're having in their hospitals what but what a perfect opportunity to say you know what everywhere else in our culture you get the crap you get the crappy garbage it's available to you on a whim whenever you want it wherever you want it but when you're in a hospital here is a vending machine that has salads that has healthier options available to you how cool would it be as a teaching opportunity to the very people and the very system the healthcare system that supposedly cares about our health what better place than to be the example of how to do it the right way. Totally. Yeah. So kudos, Dr. Champ, for uh, for doing that study. And uh, it's kind of a well dub, but I'm glad it's articulated and out there in the literature now. But let's get to the other study. And this one's out of the University of Sydney. Did eating starchy foods give humans an evolutionary advantage? Physiological significance of AMY1 gene investigated. So it's found in saliva. The protein enzyme encoded by the AMY1 gene begins the digestive process by breaking down starch when you chew your food. And in humans, the number of copies of this gene will uh, vary widely. Some people have two, others 20, with an average of about six to eight. Until now, few studies have attempted to determine the physiological role that this variation could have in humans. And now they ha- they have done that, published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, which is a very prestigious journal. Researchers out of Sydney conducted the first large-scale systematic analysis of the influence, the influence of AMY1 copy numbers on 201 healthy participants during four linked experiments. And so people who had more copies of this gene and the correspondingly higher concentrations of the amylase enzyme in their saliva were found to digest starchy carbohydrates faster. And what this did was it raised their blood sugar and uh, made foods like bread and pasta a no-no. Um, anyway, it, it's very fascinating because we now have some evidence, Will, that there are variations in how people are processing and beginning to digest carbohydrates as quickly as when they're in the mouth, which could be why a ketogenic diet could help some people who have these lower uh, levels of the AMY1 gene. Yeah, exactly. And I, when you look at this study and other studies that have been looking at this AMY gene have found, uh, this study didn't find an association with the genes and weight per, per se, but other studies have found an association with this. So it's very fascinating. I think it's one of the things we need to consider when you're looking at why am I struggling with this uh, health problem or why am I struggling with losing weight and someone else isn't? There's so many intricate pathways that give rise to where we find ourselves are at, at today. And you're looking at just one AMY gene here. Yes. Uh, but there's so many other things to consider that we don't even understand yet in science. So it is quite uh, interesting how uh, different all of our bodies are in such small ways. 
And this gives you a peek into, I, I guess, what's to come in the years to come in the research of what we don't know is so profound and it may all lead back to kind of giving us clues as to why keto is helping so many of us. Mm-hmm. Well, let's pause here real quick. We'll be back with today's featured questions. Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet with perfect keto exogenous ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at perfectketo.com jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLV at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. Living La Vida Low Carb. Talking about a low carb diet. Uh-huh. Getting your body healthy. It ain't no doubt about it. Yeah, it's really about ketosis. A ketogenic life. Yeah, a real time indicator for ketosis called ketonics. It measures your breath for ketones. Are you burning fat? Uh-huh. It's the first of its kind. All my ketonians, where you at? Hey, I'm just here to let you know. Wanna look and feel incredible. We live in La Vida Low Carb. Get your body healthy and live long. Hey, keep my fats high. high. And my carbs low, need my glucose down right now, pronto. Check my ketones, look at the stats, yo. With ketonics, now I'm in the burning fat zone. Ketonics, we burning fat, yeah, we own it, yeah, yeah. With ketonics, I'm burning fat and I'm on it, yeah, yeah. Living La Vida low carb, I do this every day. If you want to burn that fat, it ain't no other way, yeah. Go to ketonics.co. And for my international followers, it's ketonics.com. Woo! We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Ketotalk.com is the website if you want full show notes for this episode. And we're up to the first featured question from Star. Hi, guys. I'm a 62-year-old and have been keto for nearly a year. I feel great, but am getting frustrated trying to find out about what healthy blood glucose levels are supposed to be. I check both blood glucose and blood ketones regularly, and I range in the 80 to 100 uh, range at bedtime and 90 to 110 range in the morning. I've heard that blood sugar uh, should be under 100, but that it tends to go up as you get older. Although I haven't lost any weight, I feel good and I want to be healthy moving forward. So what's a healthy blood sugar level for me to strive for? 
I've been a yo-yo dieter my whole life, and I've finally found a way of eating I can live with to maximize the rest of the years I have left in my life. Thanks for your help, Star. So Star does not have an uncommon question. What is a healthy blood sugar level to be aiming for if I'm on a ketogenic lifestyle and does it vary by age? Now, your predecessor, Dr. Nally, used to always say kind of the range that uh, would be considered normal. And again, in a fasted state is anywhere between 60 and 100. And of course, it's going to vary based on age and it's going to vary based on your diet and all the things that go into, um, you know, what that number would be. But 60 to 100 was the range he always quoted. What do you like to see? And obviously, does it vary by age? I, I would say yeah, it probably does. Yeah, it does vary by age. And you could definitely see, I would say, if you want to look as we age and say give 60 to 100, I think that can definitely be fine. I think for most people, and I would say even at 62, the goal would be to have it under 90 um, fasting glucose numbers. Uh, And the reason why I'm just saying under 90 is because you can have things that look quote unquote hypoglycemic or low blood sugar as far as the functional range even, but you have to put it in context with what the person's eating. And people that are fat adapted, eating a ketogenic diet, you can have hypoglycemic looking blood sugar numbers, but they're not feeling hypoglycemic because their blood sugar is stable and they're burning ketones for fuel instead of the glucose. So I'd say under 90, you're going to want A1C under 5.3. And that can go up a little bit, you know, 5.6 and below as you're aging. But I really uh, wouldn't go much above that. Uh, Fasting triglycerides under 100. We want HDL above 60. We want serum insulin under three, and we want small dense LDL particles under 200. Uh, When you so my point of mentioning all of those is that you don't want to just look at one number. So let's look at a variety of different things and not hang our hat on one fasting glucose and say that's the totality of of your health. I think running all of these when it's appropriate, not every day. Obviously, you're running the glucose every day. These tests you want to run every four or five months, depending on the case, sometimes sooner, sometimes farther out, depending on if they're managing a health problem or not. And we also, one more thing, homocysteine under seven. Yes. So if you look at all those things, uh, that's a good gauge for where you are from a insulin sensitivity standpoint and a metabolic health standpoint. Is there value in the A1C number as a more long-term uh, number to look at? And what number should that be? Yeah, so the A1C, we want to under 5.3. It can creep up a little bit as we age, uh, you know, 5.6 and below. I'd say maybe in your 70s and 80s. But no, honestly, we have a lot of aging patients uh, and they're able to keep their levels to really nice, healthy, optimal levels, even as they age. I'm working hard to keep it at five or below. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Star, for that question. We're up to the second featured question of the day. Judy has that one. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Will. You guys are the best form of dietary education ever. Thank you for that. I so appreciate all your help uh, for your fellow Ketonians who are navigating the keto lifestyle. And I've been doing keto for about a month. I'm looking forward to having hip replacement surgery in about a month. Nobody looks forward to that, but I suppose she means getting out of pain. Uh, Upon uh, perusing the procedures that I need to follow, I noticed that they have me drink a carbohydrate drink two hours prior to surgery. Ugh. 
I'm not looking forward to having a carb hangover hangover when I come out of surgery. Is there an alternative that's more friendly to someone eating keto that I can ask for? Thanks for all your wonderful advice, Judy. So Judy wants to know, is there an alternative to that surgery swill that they require require pre-surgery for people who eat keto? So I have a few questions. So how many carbs would be in that swill? Um, and then what purpose does that serve in the patient? And is there an alternative? So they are typically giving out these carbohydrate-rich drinks based on studies that show it increases insulin-like growth factors in the body. Basically, these pro-growth hormone, these pro-cellular repair, tissue repair mechanisms in the body, that's what they're basing it on. Um, And it improves uh, surgical outcomes as far as the speed of where people improve. Uh, now, because why is this? It's because surgery is basically like running a marathon and they're basically wanting to give you extra carbohydrates for fuel during the trauma and the repairing that your body is going to have to do. They obviously are not looking at what the patient's eating on a date on when they're giving surgeries out. So they're giving, they're basing, basing it on studies and they aren't taking into context what the patient's eating specifically. The I'm assuming the person that asked this question is eating very nutrient dense, rich foods that's going to fuel repair and fuel the body better than this carbohydrate rich drink. Yeah. Uh, but they are not. We just talked about it. What's in the hospitals? They're not giving health food out. They're not really looking at that. So you can have a discussion, I think, with your surgeon. You can talk about it. But my uh, when people ask me this question on a patient level, typically I'm not going to supersede the surgeon and what they're talking about in this case. And they're cutting your body open and giving you a new hip. So at this point, I don't know if that's the time to kind of shift off of what they're doing. <laughs> you can obviously not do it. It's up to you. Um, but I tend to think, and maybe I'm a little bit too moderate on this, is that when you're getting a hip replacement, that's really the last thing you're going to want to worry about when you're coming out <laughs> is the drink. You just got a new hip. Yes. So I think focus on real foods when you get out of surgery. Don't be so concerned about this. Look, yeah. I don't think it's a great thing, but, and there's definitely, maybe you can come up with an alternative like, uh, like perfect ketones, like a powder with, with tons of nutrients in it, something like that. But they're not going to know that when you're at the hospital, you're really at the mercy of what they're saying before a surgery. So do you know how much carbohydrate is in one of those kind of drinks? I know it's going to vary from, from yeah, it's, patient to patient. I have seen studies where it says the carbohydrate-rich carbohydrate drink is about 12.5 grams of carbs. That's not tons. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So it may be that I know the study published in the Journal of Aging, uh, Aging Clinical and Experimental Research, that's all it was. It wasn't a lot. lot. And I'm sure the ingredients suck for lack yeah. of better words. I'm sure yeah. they're horrible ingredients, but in the scheme of surgery and all that, I don't know if, if it is about 12.5 grams, is it really that big of a deal? Even if the ingredients are really lousy. Well, and here's the thing you go into surgery fasted. And so if you're getting yeah. 12 and a half grams of carbohydrate, that's going to flush out of your system really fast because you've only been in a fasted state. So yeah. I, I wouldn't worry too much about that, Judy. Now, if it was a hundred uh, grams of sugar. Uh, yeah, that might be something, but like Will said, get through it. It's kind of like uh, those of us that are Christians and taking communion, you just take it cause you're honoring, you're honoring the Lord by taking the communion. 
same thing here. You just get through the surgery and uh, all will be well. And congrats yeah. on the new hip. She is excited about that. So, <laughs> Yeah, congrats. Well, let's get to the third featured question. This one's from Kathy. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I've been keto for about a month and my purpose in eating this way is to help with my symptoms brought on by MECFS, uh, which is myalgic encephalopathy. I know I slaughtered that. Uh, along with chronic fatigue syndrome, I take multiple supplements and neutral, uh, nutritional IV therapies and keto has so far provided improvement in my symptoms and given me more energy, better sleep, less brain fog and reduced pain. Keto has absolutely been the key player in helping me feel better. So here's my concern before getting sick with CFS. My weight was fairly stable and in recent months I started putting on weight I seem to be eating a lot of calories with all the high-fat foods I'm consuming on keto. I'm working on how I can reduce my caloric intake without feeling hungry and keeping the ketones that are providing me the benefits that I've seen and eventually lead to weight loss. I eat 75 to 120 grams of mostly avocados, uh, coconut oil, I think she means the fat, MCT oil, butter, cream, goat cheese, and olive oil. As the fats, my protein intakes around 60 to 70 grams daily. I've tried intermittent fasting and I feel like I'm starving the whole time. So how do I keep all of this in balance? I love your podcast, all the great information. Thanks so much, Kathy. So Kathy has the loaded question. How do you best balance the calories on keto to help keep hunger at bay, maintain the therapeutic uh, ketosis that she's looking for and also lose weight? This is the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes, and I'm not saying this is the case for Kathy, we are just overthinking it and we just need to keep it simple because um, she's her question is, how do you best balance the calories, keep hunger at bay, maintain, maintain therapeutic ketones and lose weight? I find that uh, wellness is a journey. When someone is dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome, I don't know where her weight was to begin with. Right. Um, but sometimes people are not overweight. They're just attached to a certain weight. And then when they start to heal, their body can put on a little bit of weight. So it, it depends on how much she's gaining and it depends on where she was. Because some people are very thin. And then when they put on a little weight, it's not what they're used to. It put, brings fear into them. So I don't know where she's at. I don't know if that's her or if she does struggle with weight loss resistance, but she said she's stable. If she's putting a, a little weight, sometimes when people heal, they can put a little weight and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but look at foods that you're focusing on. Look at foods like food sensitivity uh, issues. If you have a problem with dairy or if you have a problem with uh, eggs, or if you have a problem with something else, maybe you can run a food reactivity screen. Cyrex has a great test for that, where maybe there is intestinal permeability, which is commonly associated with chronic fatigue syndrome, where you may be eating a real food, healthy keto food. Um, but because of your chronic fatigue syndrome that you're healing from, your body's having this overreaction to otherwise seemingly innocuous, healthy, nutrient dense, healthy, real food, keto, keto food. So something to consider. Um, but how do you put it all together? I, I would just honestly, what I recommend for patients that are eating a ketogenic diet and, and are not uh, kind of losing their way as far as the basics, I recommend your book, Jimmy. I recommend Keto Clarity because it kind of lays out the simplicity. And I think a lot of times people come in here into this community and they're overwhelmed and they don't know where to start. And I think your book lays it out in very practical steps 
where um, it can kind of demystify it and deconfuse them. <laughs> Thank you for that. And Kathy, I would say that your concern about the calories of the high fat foods, that's just the fear of dietary fat that's still kind of in the back of your mind. Um, and, and I think once you realize what those fats are doing for your body, you won't fear them nearly as much. Um, and when in doubt, lower the carbs, when in doubt, raise the fat. And if you do those things that typically will balance things out perfectly fine. Uh, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear that she's getting more energy and better sleep and less brain fog mm -hmm. and, and all the things, and perhaps her weight, she might have an unrealistic expectation of her weight being lower. Maybe she's where she needs to be in her weight. I don't know. Cause it wasn't listed right. here. So there's a lot of kind of moving parts to this, but it sounds like she's doing a phenomenal job. Right. I love that fact that she's, I mean, anybody that's dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome, it is a debilitator many times. So to, to heal from that and to feel better from that is major. So if you're gaining a, a little weight, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a necessarily a bad thing. Also, something to keep in mind, I don't know if she's testing ketones. It seems like she is, right. but she doesn't mention that if, if she's in ketosis or not. And what she described, 120 grams of fat, 70 grams of protein, and minimal carbohydrates, she didn't say anything about carbs, but you'll assume minimal carbs, that should put her in a state of nutritional ketosis. But yeah, test if you're not, Kathy, I think that would be fascinating. And of course, test blood sugar and all the tests that uh, Will talked about a little bit earlier, just to assess where you are, because I think she's doing a lot better than the vibe that she gave us in this email. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Kathy. And we're up to the Keto Talk mailbox portion of the show. Barry has this question. Hi, guys. I've been strict keto for over two years, and I've seen so many wonderful outcomes as a result. I like to drink butter coffee to help keep my blood ketones above 1.0. And I recently decided that I wanted to try to come off of drinking so many of these butter coffees to assess if my body can enter into a state of nutritional ketosis without them. Since I started cutting back, I've noticed my ketones are now very minimal and I'm essentially, quote, out of ketosis, end quote. I started researching this low blood ketone thing, and it seems the body can eventually get very efficient at using the ketones that the body makes so that they don't show up as prevalent on the ketone meter. So how do you know that this is indeed what is happening as compared to simply not being in nutritional ketosis anymore? Is there a way to test this to determine which one is happening. Warmest regards, Barry. And Barry, I loved this question. Thank you for asking it. How do you know if low ketone levels are due to efficient keto adaptation versus being kicked out of ketosis? And I've seen this, Will. I'll sometimes get readings on the blood ketone meter that show 0.3.4, which would be, quote, out of ketosis. And yet I'm getting all the benefits that I usually feel when I'm very well keto adapted, is it possible that the body gets really good after a while of producing just enough ketones uh, to give you all the benefits that you need as you're making them? That's definitely something that I see clinically for people as they evolve on their ketogenic kind of journey and their body becomes more fat adapted and more efficient, more metabolically flexible. I say I would say to answer Barry's question is just to go off of how you feel. Number one, if you're seeing the benefits of it, if you have clear thinking, if you're not having not hangry and irritable and low energy, all the great benefits that we know that this way of eating can yield somebody go off of that first. And then number two, if you want to run labs, run labs like the ones we mentioned and look at just insulin sensitivity, look at where your insulin levels are. 
and those other biomarkers that we talked about earlier on the show, I think that's a good gauge for how your body's operating from a metabolic standpoint. But all of this has to be taken into consideration off of how you feel. Um, and then you can play around with macros if you want to. Try lowering your carbs a little bit more. Try increasing your fats a little bit more, like Jimmy had just said for the previous question, and see where your ketones are at that there at that point, and and then assess how you feel. Do you feel better when your ketones are higher, or or does it make no difference at that point? So at this point, you maybe your body's making enough or producing enough ketones that you're measuring on the blood that you don't need more, and it's not going to yield you feeling better, but you're still getting all the benefits of it. This is where I think technology sometimes paralyzes people is they're so tied to what the number on the scale, what the number on the meter is telling them about how they're doing. And sometimes it's flawed and sometimes it's not giving you good, positive feedback at the end of the day, how you feel, how your uh, yeah, how things have changed and improved for the better. Sometimes those subjective measures will tend to be the best uh the best way of knowing how you're doing on your ketogenic lifestyle. I completely agree. I think it's good as a snapshot, but people, sometimes it's the, it's just like any technology, like we talked about. Yes. Sometimes there has to be a balance, even with ketone meters. Yes. Well, Barry, thank you for that question. And we're up to the Apple podcast reviews portion of the show. And Tracy Moe has this one. I listen to you guys all the time. So many of the questions others ask are applicable to me. I love hearing your explanations of some of the erroneous articles and studies out there. I'm so frustrated as I see keto working in my life, and it is so lacking in acceptance in the medical community and the press overall. I want to tell everyone how good I feel and that I got off of metformin for PCOS symptoms, lost weight, and stopped having heartburn. Thank you for all you do to spread the word. Well, thank you, Tracy. And yes, we're doing our best to make this a little more mainstream and it's getting there. I think we're having a lot of great positive movement with keto and 2019 will is going to be even bigger and better. And I can't wait to get back to the regular format when we return uh, in January with the regular format. I know I'm excited. I, I think people are going to 2019 will be the bigger and better as far as keto is concerned. I'm sure there's going to be so much more exciting studies and applications, and I'm excited to be on this journey with you, Jimmy. Yes. And 2018 was definitely the year of the breakout of keto into the mainstream. 2019 is when I think it becomes more normalized. Uh, we saw this with paleo. Um, it did the same thing where it had a period of time where it got introduced and then it became you know, very big. So I'm seeing the same thing kind of happen with with keto. And it's it's fun being on the front lines with best selling books, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, that's it for episode 130 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit KetoTalk.com for full show notes for this and every episode and KetoTalkFB.com for the official Facebook page for this here podcast. And yes, next week, Will gets to turn the, the interviewing tables on me and Christine as uh, he interviews us about our book, Real Food Keto uh, which we're so excited. Uh, the pre-pub copies are going out into people's hands now. So uh, really excited to get this in the hands of people and excited to have you interview us next week, Will. Yeah, I can't wait. 
So guys, until next Thursday, we'll see you then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc.